Excellent. Well, I'm going to be reading from John chapter 20, verses 11 through 23. So John 20, 11 through 23. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Let's go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word that is infallible, inerrant, all-sufficient. Breathed out by you. Father, we pray that you would guide us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us discernment. Help us to know the truth and be set free by your word. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. You see here a powerful, a powerful framing in the Gospels. Jesus is born in the manger. 
And the people who come to him first are the shepherds out in the field. The angels proclaim his glory and they come and see this king for themselves. Here we find the tomb. The tomb is there and there's a moment where Mary is the only one there. Back and forth she went and the other women came and then Peter and John come and they go and they come. You have this back and forth in the tomb. But here you have this moment in John where Mary Magdalene is there and she's looking in and it depicts her as being the first one to see the risen Savior. This is, this is Mary Magdalene. This is the one who had been possessed by seven demons who had been in the torments of sin the torments of demonic attack, the torments of brokenness and lostness, and Jesus had healed her. Jesus had cast out the demons and made her whole, and she had followed Jesus and done what she could to support and take care with the others that were gathered around the disciples as Jesus continued to preach and teach throughout his life. She was there at the foot of the cross and here she is at the tomb. And Jesus reveals himself to her first. You see this refrain throughout the first part of this passage. The common word, the word used most is weeping. Verse 11, Mary is weeping at the tomb and twice she is asked, Woman, why are you weeping? First by the angels and second by the resurrected Jesus himself. Why are you weeping? Why Why is she weeping? The one who came and made her whole, the one who freed her from all her sin, from the demonic attack, the one who restored her to life has died the one to whom she had walked with and ate with and listened to and loved had died. And with the death of Jesus went her hope, went her joy, went her peace, went her life. You understand why Mary is weeping. But there's something the angels knew, and there's something that Jesus himself knew that Mary did not know. Hence the reason for the question. Mary, you weep because you think Jesus is dead. But as they ask this question twice, Mary, why are you weeping? You understand in the back of their mind, they're, they're, they're coming to this point to say, the reason you weep, you don't need to weep. Because you weep because the one you love most, your Savior, is dead, but actually, he's alive. You don't have to weep anymore. That sadness and that weeping that started when Jesus was beaten and flogged and carried his cross, that weeping that took place when Jesus is hanging on the cross, 
the weeping that continued when his dead body was taken off the cross and wrapped and placed in that tomb. Weeping and grieving and sadness, whether it was Mary, the mother of Jesus, or Mary Magdalene, or the other Mary, or whether it was John, or whether it was Peter, grieving and mourning the loss of his Savior and his own disobedience to Christ in his last moments. You literally have, leading up to the cross, and from Friday night through Saturday, tears upon tears upon tears. They have lost their Lord. They have lost their teacher. They have lost their loved one. Mary, woman, why are you weeping? She's so consumed in her grief that here you have a moment in the New Testament. Every other moment you have where an angel appears, what do the people do? They tremble. They fall down. They, they're, they're overcome with fear. She's, she's so consumed in her grief when the two angels, she looks in there and she sees the two angels and they ask her, why are you weeping? She says to them, she speaks to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Jesus, the grief of the loss of Jesus and wanting to take care of that corpse, that body as a way to honor what he did for his life so consumes her. There's, there's no sign of fear and there's no sign of trembling. There's just grief, grief, overpowering grief. So she turns away out of the tomb and here is Jesus. But as we see throughout the when Jesus is resurrected, people cannot just recognize him. He's in his new glorified risen body. And it isn't until he reveals himself that they realize who he is. And we see this taking place here at first. Jesus asks the same question. Woman, why are you weeping? But then he goes a little further. Whom are you seeking? Here again where we see Jesus is drawing her in. He's drawing us in. She thinks he's the gardener and she asks him, if, if you've taken the body out of the tomb and placed it somewhere, please let me know. I will take the body. I will bring it back. I will show it the honor. I will, I will do what I came to do for the body of my Lord, of my Savior. Jesus doesn't ask another question. He doesn't refer to the weeping anymore. In verse 16, all he does is look her in the face and say, Mary. He calls her by name. And she knows who he is. Teacher, she cries out and she grabs hold of him as if to never let go. Because he's her everything. He's her everything. She clings to him. She holds him in the grip of life. And that's why you see where Jesus says, to, 
don't keep clinging on to me, is what he's saying. He's, he's just saying, I, I'm, I'm going to ascend to my Father. This was what was so hard for the disciples. When Jesus would speak to them, it's better for you that I go. They, they, they can't understand this. It's better for you that I go to be with the Father. The Holy Spirit will be sent. But it's better for you that I go. They can't understand that still. But that's why Jesus says, don't, don't, don't hold on to me as if you're never going to let go because I'm, I'm going to go to the Father. But the Holy Spirit will be sent and one day we will all be together again. All those who are in Jesus Christ. We see where Jesus speaks her name. Jesus the good shepherd. That's what was made clear in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, Jesus made clear that he was the good shepherd. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. What we see Jesus doing with Mary here is what takes place with every single one of us when we go from death to life, when we go from unbelief to believing in Jesus Christ, when we go from rebellion against God to faith in Jesus Christ. It's the same thing that happens, and here we see where it's modeled. As Jesus speaks Mary's name, she recognizes him for who he is, and she worships him because she understands that he is her everything. This is salvation for every single one of us. The only difference is us in our disbelief, all of us, before we come to know Christ, we're the ones in the tomb. We're the Lazarus. And it isn't until Jesus comes to call all his own, he comes and he calls each and every one of us by name and makes us alive. And we come alive to believe and have faith. And what can we do but just fall down before him? Because he's our everything. So what we see taking place here with Mary is showing us what takes place in every single heart that goes from death to life. That comes to belief. We see where Jesus now displaying his complete victory over death. What he'd done on the cross took care of the sins of his people. And now we see how he calls each and every one by name. And they come to believe and live for him. 
So we see where we come to salvation. And then in verse 17, here in the Gospel of John, we see something that this is the first time in the Gospel of John where Jesus refers to his disciples with this term. So he gives Mary, who sees him for who he is in his resurrection, he sends her. He gives her a commission. And what is that commission? Go. Go to my brothers. There's the term. In the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to his disciples as his brothers. Here we see where the victory over sin on the cross, the victory over death by the empty tomb, we see here where by Jesus being our substitute and satisfying the holy just wrath of God on the cross, we see where that makes us, all those who believe in him, brothers and sisters. We are now adopted. And what a message this is. At the end of verse 17, he says, I'm ascending to my Father, and we can understand that. We can understand that. But it's when he says this, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. (laughs) That's where grace upon grace Mercy upon mercy. The one that we had scorned and rebelled against and refused to acknowledge when we come to salvation, now he's our father, our papa, our daddy, who loves us that much. But Jesus goes on with this message that Mary is going to go and tell the disciples. I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God. My God. This is a powerful moment because for Jesus throughout the Gospel of John, he referred to his Father. My Father. Our Heavenly Father. But then you see something on the cross. On the cross, when Jesus is about to give up his Spirit, when Jesus is separated from the Father for the first time because he is bearing the sin of his people and he is receiving the full wrath and God the Father is turning away from him, we see where Jesus on the cross says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken? So here we see where Jesus is sending Mary to give this message. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary can do no other. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene, she went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he said these things to her. So that's it. That's everything. If all you had in the scriptures was John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18, you would see what it is to come to salvation. 
you would see what it is to be given new life, joy, peace, and hope, and you'd see the whole purpose of the rest of your existence is to proclaim this, that Jesus is alive, and that if you believe in him, his father is your father, and his God is your God. we see where Jesus now reveals himself to those in the upper room. So we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 23. If verses 11 through 18 were centered around the word of weeping, and we see where Jesus comes and brings a joy unspeakable and full of glory in the midst of weeping by showing that he is alive, we see where verses 19 through 23 are centered around the word peace peace so in the first section 11 through 18 we saw the same question asked twice woman why are you weeping where we're getting to the greatest joy that she will ever experience but here in this section of verses 19 through 23 we have jesus making this statement twice peace be with you. We see where the disciples are in a state of non-peace. They are in the upper room. All the doors are locked. Everything is barred because they are afraid. They're afraid of the Jews. They're afraid that they themselves will be drug out and possibly executed. They are in grave fear, so they are hiding and huddled in that room And Jesus and his new resurrected body, which (laughs) doors and windows and walls mean nothing, he appears in their midst and he says, peace be with you. Jesus proves his resurrection. He says it and then he says it again, peace be with you in verse 21. As the Father sent me, Here it is. He just modeled this with Mary Magdalene. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. That's what's so great about celebrating Easter morning. When we come together to celebrate again each year that Jesus Christ is alive, that he's risen from the dead to win victory over sin, the devil, and death, that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, What's so exciting is then you have all the other days of the year to be a sent one. To do what Jesus was sent to do and he enables us to do through the power of the Holy Spirit. We celebrate that Jesus is alive today and then all throughout every other day of our life we continue to lift up that message that Jesus is alive. So that's what we see Jesus doing here. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. What was Jesus' main mission? Jesus' main mission was this, to seek and save the lost. Remember that was his commission? That's why the Father sent him? To seek 
and save the lost. That's why he's the good shepherd. To go out to every tribe, nation, language, and people where God has, has his sheep and the shepherd to come and call them by name and lead them out of death, to lead them out of destruction into life and light and love and truth. When Jesus says, peace be with you, that should take us earlier in the Gospel of John where he highlights this peace. And that's John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Starting at verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Here's verse 27. So here we see where Jesus is, the resurrected Jesus is fulfilling what he was prophesying and preparing them for in John 14. John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. We see where Jesus is speaking of this peace, this peace that comes when we know what it is to have a risen Savior, when we know what it is to have our sins forgiven, when we know what it is to be made alive. So in verse 22, Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them. Illustrating that understanding of the breath of God. And we're going to see where when Pentecost takes place, where the Spirit does fall, and all this is fulfilled. Well, in verse 21, Jesus said he is sending them, he's sending us, he's sending every believer as the Father sent him. So what's he sending us to do? What's the purpose of our life? And that's verse 23. Verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Powerful statement. Jesus got in trouble. Remember when they brought the paralytic to Jesus? Remember there wasn't room in the house? So they carry the guy up on the roof and they tear away the tiles and they lower him down. And Jesus looks at the man and he says, what's he say first? 
your sins are forgiven. And as soon as he says that, the people in the room, they go like this. They go, <gasps> especially the religious leaders. They go, <gasps> because who can forgive sins? Only God. Only God. That's the whole point. And then Jesus heals them just to show, okay, you have any question? He heals them physically to show that he forgave his sins spiritually. And that takes place. We see that in Mark chapter 2, verse 7. Who can forgive sins but God? And that's true. Only God can forgive sins. So what's Jesus teaching here in verse 23? If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Well, in Luke chapter 24, when we have the same scene and Jesus is speaking with them on this day when he's resurrected, he says this. The message that he says that they are to give when they are sent, the gospel message is this, that they are to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins and to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in his name, in the name of Jesus Christ, to all nations repentance, and forgiveness of sins. And that's what we see takes place throughout the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 10, verse 42, this is part of the message Peter gives. Peter says this, that they, the apostles, were ordained to preach. And what message were they ordained to preach? That everyone who believes in Jesus Christ receives forgiveness of sins so there it is there's the message that's the gospel paul acts chapter 13 verse 38 this is what he says he says it has been given through jesus christ the forgiveness of sins and we are to proclaim that we have forgiveness of sins in jesus christ and also that everyone who believes in Jesus Christ will be freed from all things, being freed from the curse of the law, freed from sin, freed from the tyranny of the devil, free from this world, free from their fallen flesh, freedom that comes through salvation. So that's my understanding of verse 23. We are sent to proclaim the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is this, that due to our sin and disobedience, we deserve eternal punishment. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that he would take the sins and take the wrath on behalf of for all of God's elect, of every nation, tribe, people, and language. So that they can have forgiveness of sins. This is the gospel. We don't do this in our authority. We don't do this in our power. We do this in the authority of the resurrected Jesus Christ and the risen Savior, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We do this in the authority of His Word, His inspired Word. We do this in God's authority. And God sends each and every one of us to say this clear message to every human being as long as they have breath, 
This is the message we proclaim. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven. You can have life. But a part of the message is also this, of what Jesus spoke in John chapter 8, 24. Jesus made clear, if you do not believe in me, he says, you will die in your sins. And where I go, you'll never come. So that's part of the message. That's part of the message. But that's why we, (laughs) when we've come to understand what Mary understood, that Jesus is her everything, we've come to understand what, what what the followers of Christ came to understand, that he is their peace, and we realize that how can we not, how can we not, with every person we encounter, how can we not lift up for them the risen Jesus, who is more than ever they, what they hoped for, who is their forgiveness, who is their redemption, who is their life. We lift him up with every coworker, every friend, We lift him up because he is to be prized more than anything else. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is ultimately about a God that so loved you, that so loved me, that though I earned and deserved eternal punishment that he would send his son so that I could have forgiveness and life and love based solely on his grace and his mercy alone. So see where a part of the message of Easter isn't just that he's risen indeed, but it's that in him there is forgiveness and without him there is no forgiveness. So we lift this truth up because this truth, this gospel, is life and death. And what do we hope for? What do we pray for? What do we long for for everyone we know? Life. Life. True life. So let us pray. Father, we thank you We thank you that you make us alive, that you call us by name. Father, I pray for everyone here who who loves you and knows you and believes in you. Father, I pray that you will just, for the power of your Holy Spirit, continue to teach them all things. Remind them of your word. Grow them ever closer to you. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that you would call to them. Call to their heart and mind. Make them alive. Breathe into them. Give them a heart of flesh. 
so that they may know that you are their everything. Father, we thank you. We are humbled that you would send us to proclaim your gospel of repentance and forgiveness of sins, of your love. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.